Today we're going to talk about marriage. No, Andy didn't spell it wrong up there. Uh, the title of the sermon today is Mirage. Let's pray and we'll jump into the message. Before I do, this is kind of embarrassing. Hopefully, I was hoping nobody would see this, but Noah dropped a whole piece of pizza on the front of my <laughs> sermon today. And uh, I didn't have time to print another one out. I thought he gave it character. Uh, so hopefully I can preach around that. We'll see. You're making me hungry, though, at the very least. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, thank you so much uh, for what you've already done today, God. We love you. And just, I pray you just speak to our hearts this morning, God. I pray you, um, God, for those of us that are single, God, that you would strengthen our uh, relationship with you, God. And for those of us that uh, are married, God, that you would help us hold our marriages up to the standard that you provide uh, for us in your word, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. There's an old episode of Goofy and Donald Duck where they're driving through the desert and their car breaks down. And they get out of the car and they begin to walk because that's what else are you going to do? So they begin sweating, you know, their, their tongue is like all the way hanging out until it's like dragging on the sand, and they are just so hot and so thirsty. But then they see in the distance an old-fashioned soda shop, right? What are the chances of that? And so they go inside and they sit down on the stool and they order a double ice cream soda pop. But to their dismay... It was all just sand, and they have a mouthful of sand. That's what happens when things are just a mirage. Mirages happen when the light bends, and it plays tricks on your eyes. Here's a picture of one I thought was pretty cool, where uh, it's obvious that the, it's the sky above, but the light bended in a way that it made it look like there was a pool there, and it made it look so refreshing, and that's the problem with the mirage, something that looks so good once you get there, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And for many people, that is what marriage is like. It's a mirage. They hear the songs, the love songs growing up, right? And I, I will always love you. Yeah, there it is. I'm auditioning for the worship band. We'll see, we'll see if it comes through. You know the songs, right? So happy together. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, babe. And I don't want to miss a thing. I'm sure that's all how we feel every night, right? I just cannot. That sounds creepy too, right? This person just laying there watching you sleep. Go to sleep. You're insane. <laughs> but movies and books, they don't help much either with things and sayings like, you complete me or you are my everything. And the greatest standard of romantic stories is the, the whole moral of the story is it's better to kill yourself than to be without the other person in Romeo and Juliet, right? And they set this standard out there. And then you get into marriage, and it's a lot more dishes and mowing the grass than you remember from the movies, right? <laughs> and what you do in those times, when what you thought about marriage does not line up with what it really is. That's a hard place to be in. In the 50s, uh, the 
five per, uh, excuse me, 75% of marriages stayed together. Now, 70 years later, and that has dropped to nearly 50%. So clearly, half of the married population is saying, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. There are many reasons that people cite for divorce, like falling out of love, or this isn't the person that I married. And then there are also very serious and legitimate reasons, like abuse or infidelity. But what is this whole thing called marriage about? And if we have something wrong, what is it? Well, the Bible tells us that marriage is much more than a feeling or a passion. It is a long-term commitment, a promise, and a covenant. Marriage is a contract. That doesn't play so well in the love song, but you're going to see from the Bible that it's actually much more meaningful. Tim Keller says it this way. He says there are two basic forms of relationships, consumer and covenant. A consumer relationship is what you have with your local grocer. As long as the grocer is giving you good produce at a good cost, then you have a relationship. But if you find another grocer that gives you much better produce at a much better cost, then you're going to go to them. Why? Because in a consumer relationship, your individual needs are more important than the relationship. In a covenant relationship, like that of a parent and a child, the child can cry, the child can misbehave, but you don't just leave the child like you would the grocer because the relationship is more important than your individual needs. In order to prove this, all you have to do is ask that new mother who hasn't got the chance to shower in a few days and she has no idea what day it is and she's not sure what she's eaten in the past 36 hours, but she could describe to you every single poop that little baby's had in the past week. Why? Because the baby's needs are more important to her than her own needs and that is a covenant relationship. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, love is not uh, affectionate feeling, but it's a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. So the problem we've created for ourselves is we have pushed the idea of a consumer relationship in what we call dating. We tell people uh, to play the field and to find out what you like in a person and to test the waters, just like you're checking out cars at a car lot. And if you get bored, just end the relationship. And it's no wonder that we've continued these habits and these ideas into marriage. Just trading your old wife for a new one. It's about your individual needs, not about the relationship. And a side effect of this consumer relationship is I have to put my best face on in front of my spouse because I don't want them to have buyer's remorse. And there's ultimately no security in a consumer relationship because I have to continue to do whatever I did to impress you or the danger is that you will move on from me. But see, with a covenant relationship, a biblical relationship, you can all actually be much more vulnerable. You can be more intimate because there's real commitment through thick and through thin. This contract, this covenant relationship creates intimacy because you can be yourself and it also creates stability. See, your marriage vows hopefully were not just I love you and I feel great about you and I am attracted to you. No, for the most part, our vows are, I promise to be faithful 
for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That is the definition of a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. Matthew 19, 6 tells us that when people are married, they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Back in the beginning when God established marriage, he said this, he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When we get married, two people become one and that's not just syrupy sappiness. See, when you get hungry, you feed yourself. When you desire uh, for something nice, you go and get it for yourself. You care about your happiness But when you get married, all those things you used to do for one person, you just do them now for two people. And this is the picture that the Bible paints of marriage. It's not a consumer relationship. It's more than just infatuation. It's more than just attraction. It's more than just the feeling of love. It's hard work and it's commitment and it's choosing to love even when things get tough or even when the shine wears off. Ephesians 5.25 tells us to, as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands are supposed to love our wives just like Jesus loves us. And that is a tall order. Jesus put his safety and his comfort and his need, uh, needs to the side for our sake. And in marriages, we put our safety and our needs and our comfort to the side for our spouse's sake. Ouch. I'm not good at that. That's a hard thing to do. I'm selfish and I have my own desires and my own wants. See, marriage is not meant to be a consumer relationship. This is why Tori and I used uh, these verses in Ruth chapter 1, speaking of Ruth's promise to her mother-in-law in our marriage vows. It says, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. Where I die or where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. See, this is what Tori and I are shooting for. We're not always there. We don't only have everything right. But it's a contract. It's a covenant to choose to be with someone forever. And that is the meaning of marriage. But what is the purpose of marriage? Is it fun or connection or tax breaks? These commercials for dating sites always ask people what they're looking for in a mate. And they say, I'm looking for my soulmate. I'm looking for someone that will love me just the way I am. But the problem with that is when you got married, you and your spouses bring all your flaws with you. See, part of uh, the purpose of marriage is to help you grow and to change your character. I was and still fairly am a blunt person. And Tori has taught me how to better communicate with people that do not relate well to being talked to bluntly. Did I seek out that advice? No. (laughs) I learned from trial and error. But what if I just said, I want you to love me the way that I am? But what if that way is that I am is a little selfish and a little arrogant and a little obnoxious or overly anxious? 
See, part of marriage is for us to submit to each other and make each other better. And that is why love has to be patient and kind and not envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. See, we come together to make a more beautiful picture of what love is. Because there are no two perfectly compatible people. You know, the worst person I ever could have married is myself. I would have the hardest time getting along with someone that is like me. I would drive myself nuts. My wife is loving and patient, and I would have kicked myself out of the house long ago. See, part of marriage is to build our character and to make us better, more godly people. So that means we have to listen to our spouse when they tell us that thing that we do that we always get mad about when they bring it up. We need to listen to them. Why? Because they will tell you things that everyone else is thinking about. See, when you think about your spouse, don't assume that they are a finished product. We are always maturing. We are always working on ourselves. And you're not done yet either. Now, one day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will get to see your spouse as a perfect person in the next life. But until then, you love them, knowing that they are just a struggling sinner too. See, don't be duped by the mirage. Don't think less of your husband because he's a lot less like Hugh Grant and a lot more like Fred Flintstone. (laughs) We're comparing ourselves and comparing our spouses to people that don't exist. Now let me sidebar here for a moment and be abundantly clear that if you're not married, you're not less valuable. You're not less worthy of love. In fact, Vaughn Roberts says this. He says, singleness is a gift from God. So much in our society is structured around couples, and it's often just assumed that adults will have a partner and that there's something rather odd about them if they don't for any period of time. But the New Testament speaks positively of singleness. Paul speaks of it as a gift, and Jesus says it is good for those to whom it has been given. See, singleness has its advantages. Paul mentions two advantages of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. Single people are spared the troubles of marriage, (laughs) right? There are a great many blessings in marriage, but there's some difficulties too. Can I get an amen? Amen. Your spouse is so mad at you right now. You said that way too loud. Oh man, you're going to get in trouble later. Also, single people can devote themselves more fully to God's work. They don't have so many distractions and so many ties. There's probably not a single person or a married person in here that could just like go on a mission trip for three months and just leave their spouse here. There's things that you can do that other people can't do. But see, singleness can be hard, however. God saw Adam alone in the garden and he said, this isn't good. Loneliness and temptation are struggles in singleness. But singleness is not permanent. Many of you that are presently single will one day marry, and others will remain single uh, single throughout their lives. But see, no Christian is single forever. 
Human marriages reflect the marriage that God wants to enjoy with these people forever. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom that will one day return to take his bride, the church, to be with him forever in a perfect new creation. And on that day, all pain will disappear, including the pain of difficult marriages or singleness. And God will wipe away every tear from our eye. See, even if you are single, you can be tricked with the mirage of marriage and believe the pictures of the Insta families, that that's all there is to marriage. And you can believe uh, the mirage that marriage would solve all your problems. But don't believe that. The thing that this culture and society around us has puffed up, it's more than just chocolates and red roses. Richard Koken tells us instead of a mirage, marriage should be a mirror. Marriage is a mirror that shows who God is. See, since God is permanent, he designed us to be in lasting marriages. Since God is in constant fellowship with others in the Trinity, he designed for us marriages of intimate companionship. Since God is equal in each person of the Trinity, he designed us for marriages which husbands and wives are equally dignified. Since each person of the Godhead is diverse and complementary, he created marriages to be diverse and wonderfully complementary as well. And since God himself is living in a community of a loving relationship with the other parts of the Trinity, his image bearers are designed for loving marriages and to love and be loved, not only through sentimental affection or sensual desire, but through sustained sacrificial kindness in every season of our lives. Indeed, our love is supposed to be unconditional, based not on the other's glamorous looks, but on a commitment of exclusive devotion to their present and eternal good. See, our marriages are also a picture of the most amazing event in history. One person laying down their life for the other's good. See, our marriages can preach the gospel to this world. Our marriages should be a mirror of who God is and how he loves and what he has done for us. Don't buy into the mirage that the world paints of marriage or you will never be satisfied. First marriage is, uh, it, it, it's crazy the statistics that tell us that with each divorce, uh, the divorce rate rises dramatically. The first uh, marriage is 50%, but uh, by the time you get to the second marriage, it's 67%. And third marriages are 73% likely to end in divorce. At some point, you might just entertain the idea that they're not the problem. And maybe it's you. <laughs> we have to reprogram ourselves from being taught that marriage is a consumer relationship and instead commit and recommit to a covenant contract relationship. Only then will you be truly able to be yourself and have security. Every morning we ought to recommit to our vows for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And when you think about your spouse, don't assume that they are a finished product. We're always maturing and working on ourselves, and you are not done yet either. 
But one day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will get to see your spouse as a perfect person in the next life. But until then, you love them knowing that they are just a struggling sinner too. Let marriage shape your character. Let it be a mirror of the gospel. This isn't easy, but it's what you were made for. And if you're single, don't sweat it. You have value. You are loved by God and you have so much to offer. The Bible tells us that marriage is much more than just a feeling or a passion. It's a long-term commitment, promise, and a covenant. Let's not believe the mirage. Let's make our marriages a mirror. Have your heads bowed and eyes closed. The worship band comes. I know this is a different type of message. But I think it's important. Because we're preached at constantly by our culture. It's all about you. It's all about your needs. It's all about your wants. Whatever we can do to make you happy. That's not what the Bible teaches us about relationships. Especially the marriage relationship. The Bible teaches us that we put others' needs over our own. The Bible teaches us that we lay down our wants and our desires for the good of someone else. That is what love is, and that is who our God is. Maybe you're here this morning, and you just want to come down today, and too often we think about what everybody thinks. Maybe you want to come down today, and you want to pray with your spouse. And that's not like admitting that, you know, everything's terrible. But it's admitting that you need God in this relationship. And that you can't do it on your own. And the things that marriage asks of us are not natural. For us to put ourselves to the side is against our sinful nature. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have been struggling with singleness and you... You've just been asking God, why, 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 over and over and over again. And I'm not here to tell you that I could relate exactly to what you're going through. But I know that can be hard and it can be a struggle. Sometimes we have to just give those things over to God. Sometimes God gives us them back and says, hey, you've waited long enough. Sometimes God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I know you don't understand this, but singleness can be better than a bad marriage. Maybe you just need to come down this morning and say, God, I give it all to you. Whatever you want from me, I'm excited about it. I'm happy about it because I know you know what you're doing. As the band plays, maybe you want to come down with your spouse. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe you, uh, spouse isn't here this morning. Maybe you have uh, a, a loved one, a husband or a wife that's, that's not a follower of Jesus. That could be a super difficult thing as well too. Maybe you want to come down and pray for them. Maybe you're a young person. You're dating somebody or something like that. Or, or maybe you're not even there yet and you just want to tell God, God, I want a biblical marriage. I want a marriage that you want me to have. Help me not to buy into the hype, but help me focus on what you want for me. As the band 
please, whatever God's speaking your heart with, you come.